Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. It looks like the people have spoken. Yes, we want tax cuts. Well, they're being framed as tax cuts by the media who don't want them because, well, they're the National Party's idea. But they're really just a shift in the tax bracket thresholds to reflect the inflationary times that we're in. How anybody can argue against a move in the tax bracket thresholds when they haven't been adjusted in 13 years is beyond me. The government, of course, has been taking advantage of inflation while helping to fuel it by increasing its tax take. But the poll a couple of nights ago on NewsHub says we are more than ready for this. 51% of those polled said we are ready for the shift in tax brackets. Only 36% said no. That's pretty clear cut. And in a straight-out comparison between the National Party plan of shifting the tax brackets and the Labour Party plan to take 15%, the GST, off fruit and veggies, 43% want the National Party plan, 37% wanted the cheaper fruit and veggies. The rest didn't think either was a good idea or didn't know. All of which explains why the National Party continue to have a healthy lead in the polls. The media seem obsessed with how the National Party will make up for the lower tax take caused by the bracket shift, and point out that the foreign house buyer tax take is over-optimistic, which I think it is. But there are other ways of finding money through the waste in the public service. The anti-national narrative seems to be that these so-called tax cuts will be inflationary because people will spend more of their own money. You know, I would far sooner have more money circulating in the economy through paying less tax than through a pay rise from an employer who will have to put up prices to accommodate the extra wage increase and so keep this wage price inflation spiral spinning. This is a basic economic lesson. New Zealanders need more money in their pocket to counter the cost of living. And that poll result suggests a majority of us know that already. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Now, to be honest, I don't often look at the cost of grocery items. Uh, You have to buy what you have to buy, especially the basic stuff like butter. But my wife, whose attitude to spending is pretty much the same as mine, came home complaining the other day about the cost of butter. Uh... We were out of butter, so we had to buy some more. Now, because we're a bit on the lazy side and like our butter to spread easily, uh, we've always bought either semi-soft or that relatively new product called Butter Soft. But when the price of 500 grams of semi-soft hit $11.50, she decided that was too pricey. So she bought the Butter Soft, which of course is the easiest to spread of the lot because it cost just $9.95, cheaper than the semi-soft. But as I pointed out when she got home, there's only 375 grams of that uh, instead of 500 grams compared to the semi-soft, so it was actually the least economic of the lot. Therefore, in our own little protest move to reduce the cost of living at our place, 
Uh, we're going back to the basic old pound of butter. 500 grams wrapped up in greaseproof paper, kept in the fridge, and then sliced up onto a butter dish when you need it and left in the cupboard to soften naturally. And you know, the price of 500 grams of butter on special at Countdown this week, $4.90 for the Alpine brand, $5.30 for the Countdown home brand, although it's pretty expensive, $8.50 for Anchor and Mainland. So it can be done. The price of food is, according to the latest statistics, up 8.5% in the last 12 months. I'm surprised that food inflation is that low, but at least it is dropping. It was running at 12% just a couple of months ago. Either way, food is running above the price of general inflation. And with fuel prices still high, uh, we use diesel at our place and we're usually paying, what, $2.25 to $2.35 a litre. Uh, with the fuel prices going up, the cost of food isn't looking likely to reduce anytime soon. I doubt very much that inflation will be back to that 1% to 3% band anytime next year as Treasury forecasts. Uh, but in the meantime, we're doing our bit to keep the grocery bill a bit lower by being careful with the butter we buy. Just a wee hint for you. This is Reality Check Radio. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. Time for some of your correspondence now received through inbox at realitycheck.radio or via text at 2057. This is from Beth. Uh, in response to the interview with uh, Dr. Louisa Bailey, the woman at Otago University, who was mandated, mandated rather out of her job as an artistic anatomist. She took them to the Employment Relations Authority and she won. She doesn't have a job back, but she is in a much better space now than she was a year ago. Thank you for that comment, uh, Beth. This is from Adam. Hi there, guys. I have a question regarding the word cervix and cervical. In my opinion, the word should be pronounced cervical and not cervical, as with two eyes, because it only just has one eye, like cervical. And you've. it's a bit hard to explain uh, on the paper uh, when we're trying to talk about pronunciation. Uh, it's an interesting uh, discussion that you raise, Adam, having been in this uh, broadcasting industry for a long time now. Uh, this very point has come up quite a lot uh, quite a lot before. I think what has developed over the years, to be perfectly honest, is that when you are uh, referring to the cervix as in part of a woman's reproductive anatomy, uh, the adjective that is associated with the cervix, as in C-E-R-V-I-X, is pronounced cervical because there is also the same spelling of a word as an adjective to describe injuries uh, around the neck. And this uh, I came across quite a lot in my days as a sports reporter, when various rugby players would have cervical injuries uh, as a consequence of uh, injuries to uh, to the neck. So therefore, that was the differentiation between cervical at the neck and cervical as uh, to do with a, a woman's cervix. So that's just my explanation. I may or may not be right, Adam, but that's just the way I see it. And this is from uh, Jan, who is a regular correspondent, he writes, I saw Hipkins defend the Royal Commission's terms of reference as having nothing to do with the current government. In my humble opinion, this is pure BS. 
And if there is any truth to it, then who appointed the chairman of the commission? Plus, the fact that it won't report back until sometime in 2024 is in itself a scam. The rest of the world has forgotten about COVID already, and by then even New Zealanders will have. It would be interesting if you can shed some light on this. It seems to me that Labour Party MPs are now so used to lying, they can do it with an absolute straight face and go to bed at night feeling totally self-satisfied. Yes, if, um, if Hipkins is saying that he had nothing to do with the appointment of the Royal Commission and their terms of reference, then um, he's actually surely telling a porky, isn't he? Because I know this Royal Commission, uh, headed by Professor Tony Blackley, was uh, appointed in the time when Jacinda Ardern was the Prime Minister uh, and Hipkins was still a senior member of that government. So surely he was... He was right in on who was on the commission and what their terms of reference would be. Anyway, it's going to report back in the middle of next year. You're right about how we will have all forgotten about it, unless, of course, we get a proper inquiry into COVID and the COVID response in this country uh, because of the activism of some potentially new members of parliament, namely Winston Peters and New Zealand First. That's what we would like to see happen. Whether or not it does... I don't know. Thank you for your correspondence, Jan. Thank you for everybody else's correspondence to inbox at realitycheck.radio or you can text me at 2057. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. On the surface, the New Zealand Superannuation Fund, the so-called Cullen Fund, which is now 20 years old, has done pretty well. It is this country's sovereign wealth fund, a sort of slush fund, to help pay the country's bills from uh, sometime in the next decade, particularly the old age pension. Now, the New Zealand Superannuation Fund is now worth $65 billion. Since it started, the government has put in just under $25 billion, and with the annualised rate of return over 20 years of 9.76%, it's now up to what it is, $65 billion. But just imagine how much it would be worth if a couple of things had happened. One, the government didn't tax itself. It's put in $25 billion, but it's taken out $9.5 billion in tax. Uh, why? Isn't that just silly? Everybody should save for the future. I don't see a downside, you see, in the Cullen Fund. It's very important to have a nest egg for the future from which you can draw off an income for the country. That's how retirement works. It should work for a country as well. The Cullen Fund needs as much in it as possible for when the big tide of baby boomers hits the age of 65, uh, 65 years after the peak birth rate of 1961. So that's 2026 and beyond. But the government has been pillaging this fund for the past 20 years by drawing off tax. Silly. Imagine what another $9.5 billion with an annualised rate of 9.7% over 20 years would have provided. And then number two, this fund is as big as it is, despite the John Key Bill English regime not putting any money into the fund during their entire time in government. Big, big mistake. Bill English said we couldn't afford it and we weren't going to borrow to invest because that was gambling. 
Uh, there is some truth in that attitude, but, you know, after a few years, around 2010, 2011, when the market started running hot and our KiwiSaver accounts just started exploding, returning 10-plus percent a year, surely the government should have revised its thinking. I reckon at the time that was a wasted opportunity. I know it's sometimes hard to put your money into savings accounts during hard times, but the long history of investing shows it is always worth it. If the national government had put in even a billion a year uh, during those nine years, even with having to pay a bit of interest on the borrowing of a billion dollars, the return would have outweighed the interest paid. Rob Muldoon killed the first attempt at a big sovereign wealth fund back in 1975, and that is the biggest act of economic sabotage this country ever suffered. What John Key and Bill English did wasn't on that scale, but you know, it was not helpful. The Cullen Fund's $65 billion would surely be upwards of $100 billion now if those two initiatives had occurred. One, no tax had been taken out. B, the key English government had contributed to the fund in the years that they were in power. As it is, we have a relatively paltry $65 billion in the fund. Meanwhile, Norway, ah, Norway, Norway with the same population as us has $1.5 trillion in their sovereign wealth fund, which began in 1990. Different circumstances, I know, different resources in that country, but what a commitment to saving. New Zealand has never been good at saving. We have to learn to change our attitude. You're listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Isn't it bizarre, though, that we're still being scared about COVID variants? Haven't we all accepted that COVID is not much more than a bad flu or a bad cold, and that the way to protect yourself against it is the usual way you keep healthy. That is, eat well, sleep well, exercise well, and maybe take a few vitamins to supplement your diet. Yet, there they were on the TV again a couple of nights back, the usual suspects like Michael Baker, about some new variant which may or may not be causing concern. And of course, his message was that the only way to protect yourself against this new variant is to get a vaccine. Although he did admit that a new strand of vaccine might be needed for the new variant. Then the report goes on to feature an emergency doctor saying how he's seeing an increase in strokes and blood clots and cardiac events. Um, I doubt very much those events are being caused by catching the COVID respiratory virus, uh, but aren't they acknowledged, aren't they the acknowledged side effects rather of the vaccine? Uh, supposedly very rare occurrences, the cardiac events after the, after the vaccine? Uh, yeah, right. And despite us having one of the highest vaccination rates in the world, doctors are seeing patients catching COVID for the third or fourth or fifth time. Can people not see the wood for the trees? Surely by now, with people being boosted up the wazoo and reports coming in of some catching this virus, or rather testing positive for it again, surely the truth must hit home at some stage. This vaccine is just not effective at preventing you from catching the virus, and we know it doesn't prevent transmission because, well, the manufacturers told us so. 
So here is a message to the media. This country is over being scared by the threat of this minor respiratory illness. Even if new variants and mutations emerge, perhaps it's time to understand why so many people are being admitted to ICU with the strokes and the heart attacks. Or are inquiries like that likely to find embarrassing answers? Just asking. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Making a difference. In this modern world, I guess we are either an Apple or a Microsoft person, or in the mobile phone world, it's uh, Apple or Android. I am not afraid to say, in fact, I'm very happy to say I'm unashamedly Apple, and I have been for nearly 20 years since I first encountered the wonder of the iPod, which of course then became obsolete with the iPhone and then the iPad. The iPhone surely is one of the greatest inventions in the history of the world. Possibly it's the greatest invention ever because it's made just so many other things in life unnecessary, like a watch, a camera, a diary, and newspapers and magazines, and to some extent libraries as well. It's all wrapped up into one small thing you can just put in your pocket, and it pretty much works anywhere, uh, except on the road from Cromwell to Queenstown, but that's another story. And when we get the Starlink or other satellite technology up and working for our phones in a couple of years, I guess your iPhone, your smartphone will be able to be used anywhere. But this week there was an intriguing development with the new iPhone. It's not the cost, which you have to say is getting up there at over $2,000, but rather the format for the charging cord. Apple have bowed to pressure from the European Union who want to cut down on electronic waste and the number of cords in a household by insisting that all charging cords now for the iPhone become the USB-C format. The current so-called lightning plugs won't work in the new iPhones. The EU want to make the change immediately. Apple had wanted to let it happen gradually, but the EU won. So if you get a new iPhone, you'll be able to use the same charging port for your iPhone and your iPad and your MacBook as well, all of which makes sense. And in time, having just one charging cord will, of course, become far more convenient in your life. But the upside for Apple is that if you currently have to carry two charging cords, you'll be tempted, won't you, to get yourself a new iPhone so that you'll only have the one charging cord to worry about. You know, for those of us who have been on this planet for our three score years and ten, it's a strange thing to be having a conversation about a charging cord, but then try living life in the 2020s without a smartphone. You couldn't, could you? Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.
It is a Friday afternoon, so we have to talk a bit of sports, don't we? The All Blacks probably won't prove too much tomorrow morning against Namibia, except that if they don't put 60 or 70 points on this team, then we should start to be really concerned about this country's prospects at the tournament. The benchmark is that Italy beat Namibia by 52 points to eight last weekend. Without knowing too much about rugby in the old Southwest Africa these days, I think Namibia might have played their strongest team against Italy in the hope they could be competitive. That didn't work out so well, so it might be a changed lineup for them tomorrow. Anyway, expect a one-sided scoreline which might not tell us much about what the first string all black lineup should be when the quarter final comes around, probably against the Springboks on the 15th of October, New Zealand time. Uh, I see that Bowden Barrett is fullback again in this match. Is that a sign that he may not be in the top lineup anymore? Maybe Ian Foster will see sense and put Will Jordan back there and make Damian McKenzie the utility back on the bench when it comes to the quarterfinals. So that's the rugby. The All Blacks will win easily. Then there is the rugby league. What an occasion is in the offing at Mount Smart, eh? Tickets sold out in 41 minutes. Has that ever happened in New Zealand before? The Knights from Newcastle, they're on a 10-game winning streak. The Warriors have had two big losses in a row. You would like to think that they will be good enough, though, to give their loyal fans one last big win on their home ground this season before the final two weeks of the season will be played out across the Tasman. It should be a fabulous occasion. This time last week, I suggested the All Blacks and the Warriors would both lose. I was right. This week, I'll be bold and say they'll both win. But you know, I reserve all my rights for what happens after these games. This has been the Peter Williams Afternoon Show. Thank you for your company this afternoon. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, I'm going away for a bit, uh, off to Europe, in fact, uh, for six weeks. Going to see my daughter, going to walk a bit in Spain, go on the El Camino, the Pilgrim's Trail, going to do a bit of uh, touring elsewhere in Spain and then go to the Rugby World Cup for the last couple of weeks. So I'm not back in the country until uh, early November. I look forward to talking with you again then, perhaps. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts, 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to realitycheck.radio slash members and join now.